0: Welcome to another edition of the WAN Manager podcast. Uh, today we're gonna be a little bit more conversational because it's just me and my colleague Lizzie Thorne, and we are the principal. Actually, principal isn't quite right, we're the only authors and designers of the WAN Manager survey. And we're just gonna, you know, sort of chat through uh, the the 2020 survey that we recently released. Um, Give everybody some some of the highlights. Um, of course, there's always more detail in the in the report itself, um, but we thought there's there's quite a few things uh, that we were um, surprised by, even uh, or at least uh, excited by in this version of the survey. So we're going to go through those and let everybody know what's going on with the WAN manager world. So welcome, Lizzie. Thanks for joining us again.
1: Yeah, I'm always happy to be here, and you know. Not only are we the principals we're we're the top two enterprise analysts at telegeography you know top two out of two
0: There is no doubt about that, so you know. <laughs> yeah so folks may remember uh Lizzie joined me at the end of last year where we kind of reviewed um some of the trends from last year interestingly enough we we hadn't finished the analysis of this survey yet at that time um although we were in the process, so it wasn't like we didn't know any of this stuff but um that's kind of what we're doing here again is is looking at where enterprise wind managers were in in twenty twenty um and maybe that'll lead us to some pontification of of what we can expect this year we shall see right so um uh first I thought just So that uh, everybody knows what we're talking about, Um, I'll I'll give a brief introduction of the survey itself. Uh, We started the WAN Manager Survey in 2018, uh, mostly using a panel of enterprise WAN managers we have run across throughout um, conference, uh, like the WAN Summit and some other conferences and whatnot, and just had the idea that we could um, ask them the kinds of questions we had been asking, say, in live polls, but in a more detailed uh, fashion. And, and get to know better exactly what uh, folks across various multinational enterprises are thinking, uh, what stage they're in with a lot of these new technologies, what their networks uh, look like. Um, and what's cool is that having started this in 2018 and now pulled it through uh, three years through 2020, we're beginning to develop some time series we're going to hit that things move slowly in the enterprise networks world because of long-term contracts and the difficulty of ripping and replacing something for a multinational uh, network of course but we can still see that things uh on the ground are different in 2020 than they were in 2018. So uh yeah that's that's kind of the the why. Lizzie maybe you could take us through how what uh how how we run the survey what the process is.
1: Absolutely. So Uh, Like Greg said, we started in 2018, and um, our usual method for uh, conducting the survey is that we would send out an online survey. So the survey uh, would have one section that had all of the network configuration information and questions, and that generally remained unchanged through uh, all our three and now ongoing four years of survey collection, which is why we're able to now produce some very interesting time series. For the second section of the survey, we would usually pick a topic. Uh, In 2018, that was SD-WAN. In 2019, we looked at cloud connectivity, specifically infrastructure as a service and cloud service providers and security. Uh, Then in 2020, with the data we'll be looking at in this uh, podcast, um, we went back to SD-WAN to see how people had progressed in their SD-WAN deployment. uh, And... um, you know, how that had kind of moved along. And now this year in twenty nineteen we are returning to network security, uh though with some kind of newly formulated questions. Twenty twenty one. Sorry, twenty twenty one.
0: Yeah. But that raises an important yes. point, which is that if you're a WAN manager and you're listening to this podcast, I'll never say this otherwise, but stop listening to this podcast right now and go to WANforum.com where you can find the 2021 survey and please fill it out. Uh, a lot of the work of this survey, I'll be frank, is me and Lizzie tracking people down, making sure they, they respond to it. Um, you know, different different methodologies for for different folks try, trying to do, uh, you know, this kind of information we don't focus on quantity as much as quality. We want to make sure that the companies that we are profiling are multinational enterprises. Almost all of them are on the global 5,000 kind of list, right? Um, uh, which is the list of the 5,000 largest uh, enterprises, both publicly and, and privately held across the world by revenue. Um, and we want the the person who is at least uh, involved in the major network uh configuration sourcing decisions or whatever so it's it's not a general kind of it survey it's it's that specific person if you are listening to that uh the, this podcast it's very likely that you are that that person <laughs> and we would very much appreciate your results for 2021 so I, I just can't not throw that plug in yeah
1: no absolutely definitely and part of it is that because we are so focused on finding the exact right person uh we usually actually run the survey for quite a bit of time you know basically from quarter one to quarter three. And then in addition to having the online survey, we also conduct in-depth interviews for those who took it and, you know, agreed to do a follow-up interview. We'll do like a 30-minute to an hour just dive into their uh, network strategy and, you know, sort of going through all of the questions that they answered. And that honestly ends up being some of the most useful stuff that then goes Mm -hmm. into the report because we're able to kind of dig into – both people's individual circumstances and, you know, how their business needs and their existing networks uh, architecture informs their current and future decisions and um, also helps with, you know, kind of figuring out what thought process is behind, you know, some other things like, you know, approach to SD-WAN or network security. So those are also very useful.
0: That's been particularly helpful for us figuring out the next questions to ask in the, the subsequent uh, survey year, right? Because what we're hearing them sort of bring up is is what we then kind of drill down with, with those folks later. And um, we, we, we do intersperse a lot of the sort of, they, they have to be anonymous, but we'll tell you maybe maybe an industry or vertical that they're in. Um, and we do intersperse the, the data that we're going to be talking about here with with quotes from those interviews in, in the real uh, uh, report. So that's that's worth checking out, certainly. All right. So Lizzie, let's dive right in. Uh, just before we get into kind of what we found, I thought it's useful to, to quickly hit... The, the sort of participant metadata, mm-hmm. uh, we had respondents from from 19 different industries. So this really represents a pretty broad swath of the multinational enterprise market. Um, it does lean a little bit heavy toward the finance and business services ends of things. I, I have my theories about why that might be, but um, suffice to say, uh, you know, uh, they tend to go to uh, these some of the and Summit events and whatnot, maybe a little bit more than than others maybe due to location, London and New York, yeah. for example, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but we still get a lot of different kinds of companies across all different kinds of industries. Um, we have... Uh, Eighty five percent of our respondents um, had a billion or more in revenue in 2019. So so these really are mostly sort of proper enterprise companies. Um, like I said before, most of them are on the global 5000 list, uh, which we use in a lot of our, our research. Eighty six percent were headquartered in the U.S. or Western Europe not surprising right um, uh, that that actually comports fairly well with the makeup of the global 5000 list then we had 14% um from asia it's it's notable that you know due to the our contacts language barriers right we don't include um companies i don't think we have anybody who's headquartered in china right so no, they tend they tend yeah. to not speak english we have now translated the survey into mandarin uh, so fingers crossed we'll be able to find some and, and as, as well in, into Spanish and Portuguese. So per, we're hoping to fix that uh, this year, but um, you're still getting a big swath of, of the, the global enterprise market with, with that kind of makeup.
1: Right. And, and, it's, and
0: uh, Yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Right. And it's key to note that even within that, even though, you know, 86% are headquartered in the U S or Western Europe, they still have a very global footprint in terms exactly. of where their sites yeah. are.
0: Yeah, we, we really don't have anybody in the survey off the top of my head that's a domestic only. There might be a few companies that have a vast majority of their sites in the U.S. and Canada, but it's it, almost everybody in here has a multinational footprint. And the, and the the average or I guess the median number of sites is 200. So that gives you a good feel for for what kinds of, of networks we're talking about. Of course, that ranges all the way up to t- tens of thousands, Depending on your line of business, we talk about this a lot in the report that you can have, you know, sort of um, uh, a different kind of business that's not that has a similar employee count. But if you're running ATMs or something like that, you might have tens of thousands of sites um, uh, with a similar employee count as a law firm, right? That has 200 people per site or whatever, you know. So yeah,
1: and that's why the industry breakdowns are so valuable within the report, yeah. which uh, I don't think we'll fully get into here. But if you read the the full report you know, that kind of lends some color into why some industries lean more towards certain Mm -hmm. network solutions or, you know, in this case, SD-WAN deployment methods or strategies. Um, And that's always very interesting to get into the weeds with.
0: Yeah, and definitely going to be interesting uh, two or three years from now when the fallout from the switch to distributed work among, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, knowledge workers has Fully integrated itself. It's going to take a long time for that to change actual WAN configurations. But um, certainly uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that uh, if it really plays out. So on that, first let's let's talk about the, the network configuration data. Um, this is really kind of going to be uh, Lizzie and I scrolling through <laughs> the results <laughs> that, that we got here and all of our little plotly charts. But um uh, first I thought it, it's worth mentioning that that we for the network configuration. Data we have amalgamated three years of data: 2018, 19, and 20. And the reason that we do it that way is that we don't ask everyone to complete their network configuration every year. Just kind of uh, because l- I mentioned this at the very beginning, but you know, networks change very slowly. If you ask someone one year, you know, what percentage of their sites are running MPLS, it's very likely it's going to be the same next year because you're in long-term contracts. I actually think we're going to get away from that and just ask everybody every mm-hmm. year from now on, even if it's a little bit more work for the survey takers. I apologize, but because things are are kind of becoming a lot more dynamic uh, than they were, um, but for for those first three years, we're kind of putting together people. We if if you filled out the survey in. 2019, for example, then we didn't ask you what your network configuration was in, in 2020. So we have to kind of put those, uh, those uh, together to, to get that full picture. Um, so, uh, you know, it's important to keep that in mind when we say something like, key data point here, 70% of sites uh, on average are running MPLS. So MPLS is still very prominent out there. But of course, that does include some folks who who filled out the survey in, for example, 2019 rather than 2020, um, and and I'll get to that in a second. But uh, one in three sites um, is running DIA, which I, I thought was pretty interesting. Um, I I kind of expected that. To be higher by now. Um, uh, Again, that 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 does include you know um, uh, some some data from 2018 and 19. Uh, One in four are running business broadband. So so we're pretty clear in the survey that we mean you know dedicated internet access carrier grade SLAs versus business broadband, essentially like consumer service um, with with some additional guarantees. Maybe Uh, that that tends to be a little bit less popular um, uh, or prominent, although. Um, And Lizzie, you you were the one who really dove in with Python this year and and did the heavy lifting on the analysis that I had done that in Excel in previous years. But um, correct me if I'm wrong, but to my memory... You know, we're we're talking about averages here, but there's quite a few networks where folks are all in. So you have to keep yes. that in your mind. So if we if we say 70% of sites are are running MPLS on average, well, that means there's there's quite a few folks running at a hundred percent of sites and quite a few folks who uh, maybe one in ten even who have no MPLS at all, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, when you're looking at this data, it's important to keep in mind this is not what your like, this breakdown is not what your average network actually looks like. This is just the kind of average of all these different, um, you know, network products. So, for example, this you're more likely to see someone who has MPLS at 100% of their sites and then maybe DIA at some percent of it as a secondary backup. And then, on the other hand, we have people who have broadband at, broadband or DIA at 100% of their sites and have already moved right. away from MPLS. And so this is kind of the averaging out of all yeah. of those. Or um, or dual.
0: There there's there's yes, some sets in there that have MPLS at all sites and, and DIA or broadband at all sites for local internet breakout. So yeah. um, when we say the average network, it, there's probably no network that looks like our average network, right?
1: <laughs> I was gonna say we also have you know we added VPLS and um, right. IPL point to point this year as well, just because uh, in interviews we did hear that some people still had or you know, just had that as part of their network still, so we added that in. Mm-hmm. And those are both at, you know, one is at, uh, VPLS is at 12%, IPL is at around 10, but those are more representative of people who um, kind of are on the outlier of, they have a large percentage of either right. of those in their sites. It's not that common for people to actually have like 10% of their sites having VPLS or IPL.
0: Exactly, right. So like if if you have IPL, it's very likely that you're running a, a... Backbone throughout the, the whole world, or something. I mean, we, we we certainly talk to enterprises who have gone the route of um, you know internet for smaller offices, and then literally kind of act as a telco, create their own pops, and and build a backbone uh, between those pops. Um, uh, that that is unusual, but it is it is out there, and it is um, uh, something that that um, quite a few folks uh, have done. So on on that, I think it's th- there's you know we break all of these trends down by those 19 verticals. Actually, probably not the 19 because we have to have a, a critical mass of responses uh, to to fully break it out, but a dozen or so, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's worth highlighting just a couple of those um, to to show you more about what is in the actual report. And I found this one particularly interesting that um, for MPLS, uh, I remember the the average was about seventy. In healthcare, for example, it's it's uh, much higher. It's like eighty seven percent. Same same in finance. Um, it was it was higher than others. There there are other industries where the average number of sites of MPLS is very low. And uh, you know we, we can speculate a lot about why that is in healthcare and finance. It seems to me they're both kind of conservative industries, if you will, in, in the sense of you have a lot of compliance and reporting and stuff like that. And so they're probably just a little bit um, uh, more uh, sitting on, on the sidelines to some extent waiting for other um, uh, folks to to adopt new technologies like SD-WAN and, and then uh, changing out their underlay. Though I should I should mention, we've talked to some finance people. In fact, there's been some folks that uh, manage finance networks uh, here on the podcast that are the the other extreme, like the sort of bleeding edge. So Yeah, um, I think that know. in
1: finance, it's definitely sort of, um, you know, kind of two diverging paths in terms mm-hmm. of you have companies that are extremely kind of bleeding edge and are able and have, uh, because of their size, are able to have the capacity to have an extremely large, you know, IT um, right. WAN team mm-hmm. so that they can implement uh, more intensive, you know, deployment projects versus you also have those who are, uh, have a much more conservative culture and um, are more like the last people to leave a um, right. yeah. product or, you know, those sorts of um, people on the healthcare side. Uh, I do think it's kind of backed up in some of the interviews that we've had that it's definitely a combination, like you said, of the need to protect uh, client data since they are dealing mm-hmm. with healthcare information that you know has HIPAA and all those other sorts of um, data privacy regulations surrounding them. And also, I think, um, especially if you were dealing with like a hospital network, you have sites that might be a little more remote, um, and uh, you might not mm-hmm. necessarily trust the broadband or internet connectivity that's going to be out there, so you might continue to rely on that MPLS.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, we've gotten mixed messages on that in the interviews. Yeah. There's some folks who said, oh, when we left behind MPLS, uh, the, the broadband was more reliable. There's other folks who say, oh, because of my locations, like you can still get a T1 or an E1 or, you know, whatever. Um, but you really can't get broadband very easily. And so I think, you know, everything that we do here always comes down to the all the the caveats of, of what your network actually looks like and, and that sort of thing. But it's useful to hear what other folks are thinking. Yeah. So now to the big question um, that everyone's always asking us: what's what's up with MPLS? Is it is it dying? Is it uh, here to stay? We said at the top already that seventy percent of sites are running MPLS. So Lizzie, we were f- finally able to run a time series um, with that caveat that the the cohort, since we don't ask every year what your network configuration is. The the N in any given year is smaller than the, the larger uh, study N, but is MPLS dropping? Give us a definitive answer.
1: Yeah. It is. Yes. <laughs> pretty, pretty, um,
0: this was one result that I was actually surprised at because I often have said, oh, MPLS... It's it's not going anywhere anytime soon, and that's true, but but that you know people change slowly. There's a pretty big difference between twenty eighteen and, and uh, twenty twenty.
1: There is. Uh, in our twenty eighteen cohort, MPLS represented eighty-two percent, and then that fell to fifty-eight percent in twenty twenty. Uh, though I do think, you know, it's a pretty uh dramatic number when you look at it, but I do think it still holds with our general hypothesis that uh, MPLS is declining from being the kind of monolithic uh, choice Mm -hmm. for large enterprises. However, it's probably not going to completely go away. It's going to become that one more tool in the toolbox.
0: And and we're going to tie that into to when we get to the to the SD-WAN section. Um, but one thing I I thought highlighting uh worth highlighting as as we get to that is that we've we have for those 3 years also asked about uh the bandwidth percentages. So we gave ranges what percentage of your sites fall within this bandwidth range. And um we did this for for the the three main connectivity products mpls dia and broadband right through the main main under underlay products if you will. And they all uh, peak at the twenty to fifty range, so that's mm-hmm. still like the most typical um, port size, which is always kind of interesting to think about. I'm I'm at home on four hundred megs up and down, right? So, <laughs> um, but uh, but MPLS skews a lot heavier towards the lower end of mm-hmm. that scale, and DIA especially um, is much more prominent at the high end of that scale, like giggy kind of level, um, and. I think that's a big driver for leaving the MPLS. The reason that MPLS skews towards the lower end of the scale is sometimes that's what's available. Sometimes it's it's um, uh, limited by the local access, but often it's just because it's expensive, right? Yes. So
1: Yeah, that's probably when you're where you're going to find your most immediate cost savings is getting rid of your large port MPLS.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh, the the last thing I I think worth highlighting on the network configuration, we'll move on to to SD WAN is about. SD-WAN. As a matter of fact, we we decided to do a sort of cross-tabs analysis of everyone who has uh, actually installed SD-WAN, and then comparing those different uh, groups of um, MPLS uh, percentages. Right. In other words, what is your stage of SD-WAN adoption compared to the percentage of your sites that have MPLS? And this was one of the results that uh, at first really kind of had me scratching my head. First, The thing that I expected to be there was true, which was that it was, uh, you know, among all the people who hadn't adopted SD-WAN, those with SD-WAN installed had the least MPLS. So that was like what what I would have said, right? If you were in the stage of like, yeah, we're considering SD-WAN, but haven't gotten there yet on average, you have more sites running MPLS than you do if, if you have it installed, which was about 50%. But the lowest group, the the folks who have the least MPLS were the folks who decided against adopting SD-WAN. Any interview insights that you can recall on explaining? I know I, we did some interviews with folks who didn't want SD-WAN, mm-hmm. uh, correct?
1: Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I thought this was a really interesting result as well. And I think it also... Uh, we'll get into this when we get to the SD-WAN section, but I think the the character, the nature of people who aren't adopting SD-WAN has kind of changed now since when we, you mm. know, gave the survey yeah. out in 2018. I think in 2018, um, when we asked about SD-WAN, there was only like 2% of people who said they right. were not planning on adopting SD-WAN. That number has actually increased, but I think it's It's like because, almost
0: one in 10, right? Yeah. yeah
1: um, but I actually yeah. think it's because uh, these are not necessarily the type who- have looked at SD-WAN and decided, "No, I'm going to stay on MPLS forever." These are people right. who are saying, "I want to go even more radical than that." You know, I'll mm-hmm. just put everything on the public cloud with, you know, VPNs or something like that, and I'm not even going to focus on that site-to-site connectivity necessarily because I'm going to have this mobile workforce. Uh, that's at least what we heard from one interviewer who or sorry, one interview who actually hadn't completely written off SD-WAN, but was definitely thinking about just going more for having, just not really having a WAN, just having everything Mm -hmm. in public cloud and acting more like a, um, you know, like many smaller businesses, you know, SMEs who don't necessarily have um, a private connectivity for their sites. So we, we don't have
0: we, a WAN at Telegeography. Let's exactly, say. <laughs> we, yeah. we just do and and, and I, I recall one interview where, where someone who was running SD WAN actually said that um that he's not even sure they necessarily always will just because of the they have a lot of knowledge workers, it's all it's an internet based company.
1: He's exactly. like now we're
0: all home. If you if you get your security delivered as a software downloadable onto your devices, um, then we kind of just are going to connect to all of our SaaS and UCAS stuff through, you know, uh, uh, multi-factor authentication or whatever the case may be. And, and there's not even really a WAN. Now, that said, that is a sentiment that is definitely unusual out there. But but it's it's interesting to hear. Um, and, and it's certainly a, a real thing for some companies, you know.
1: Yeah, I think this is when that industry breakdown becomes really important because mm-hmm. companies that are a- able to think about that sort of shift are generally you know, knowledge workers, right. uh, m- mobile—you know, people who would be able to like do their job from anywhere—versus you know people who are on a factory floor or something like that. It kind of yeah, and you a, you don't have
0: IoT, you don't have you know big proprietary files or, or especially software or anything, yeah. you, know, you just need to connect over Google meet or teams or whatever. And, and, um, you know, work on some, some, you know, shared databases maybe or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely never going to be, um, a trend that expands, I think to a lot of industries, but, uh, but th- they're out there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it actually, I guess one more parting thought on this. It kind of also goes back to the um, conversation that's being had of, um, you know, the different reasons why people adopt SD-WAN. I actually just had an interview with someone for the 2021 um, survey where Mm -hmm. they already Mm -hmm. had implemented, you know, a full internet hybrid network um, back in like 2014. And they're just now looking at going with SD-WAN. But for them, a lot of those traditional arguments about... Oh well, you need this in order to, you know, move to the internet to capture those cost savings. Doesn't necessarily ring true for them. They're still interested mm-hmm. in it because they are interested in the performance guarantees right. and visibility. But um, I think that's another reason why you might see that those who have chosen not to adopt SD WAN actually have the lowest amount of MPLS. They've already kind of gone through that process, which for many people is a big mm-hmm. motivator for it. And right. um, you know, perhaps for them, those other uh things like performance and visibility aren't strong enough um motivators
0: yeah i mean digital transformation uh and and by that in this case i mean you know movement to the cloud especially like SaaS adoption and stuff like that um had led some people to local internet breakouts before sd wan uh, was on their radar at least, right? And mm-hmm. uh there was a time when SD WAN was kind of out there, but not called SD WAN necessarily, right? So kind of like uh sassy, right? You know, yeah. that sort of thing. And, uh, but uh but yeah so that that there there were other trends at work. And again, there's just no doubt that um moving all of your knowledge workers onto a home broadband connection for the past uh what's it been 13 months um, is going to have a lasting impact, especially, um, since, uh, I think all of us at this point doubt very much that we're going back to a pre 2020, uh, work environment, uh, exactly ever again, you know, we we won't stay like this necessarily, but, but there's going to be a lot more of that, I think in perpetuity. Um, and, and we now know the physical infrastructure is there, the The work is is getting done, uh, presumably in most cases. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean,
1: we've had this conversation before, obviously, but I feel like um, enterprises a lot of times are slow moving just because of their size. It's hard to have a very dramatic rollout or shift. So a lot of people who've been arguing for you know these sorts of increased flexibility or that remote work could be done, well, now it's been proved that you can do it and still be productive, and that you can get the network side of it to work as well. So uh, for many people, Absolutely. that kind of hard yeah. part of actually getting the business to do it has now already happened. So now it's just a question of what happens moving forward. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And, and all that said, like I said, this is very particular to the kind of work that your employees are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think that in the end, we're going to see uh, the COVID um, impact being actually toward the, a more adoption of SD-WAN because it really did, in, it for, for a lot of folks, facilitate that transition uh, more easily. So Lizzie, we're literally a half an hour into this podcast and we haven't said that we buried the lead. How much did SD-WAN adoption grow between 2018 and 2020?
1: You'll have to put this in the sting. Like right at the yeah beginning this has got to be get, the cold opener here all the way
0: through yeah <laughs> i gotta get my son to do a little uh drum roll on him <laughs> he's learning the drums so oh uh, that's cute yeah
1: <laughs> all right um all right so here we go key takeaway from our 2020 survey if you you know don't hear anything else this is what you need to know as of 2020, 43% of our enterprise respondents had installed SD-WAN as compared to just 18% in 2018. So that's a pretty dramatic increase uh, over just that's two years. Definitely,
0: Yeah. And it's important to note, I, you mentioned this earlier, we, we collect these data usually like mostly through quarter two and quarter three. Um, and... Um, and so you're looking at quarter two and quarter three of twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. There were certainly people who had intended to have SD WAN adopted by then, but had been disrupted. So now that things are a little bit more sort of, you know, back on track, I'm guessing that already as we speak, it's it's above fifty percent because we had a lot of folks that were In deep in the process, but just hadn't had it installed at that point.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, this year we actually did ask people to just give us a general idea of when they thought they were going to have it deployed or, you know, what Mm -hmm. quarter they had previously done. it. So we could kind of build a nice um, time uh, line of that. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people were like, yeah, we hope to have it done in 2020. Hopefully the last quarter, Uh, maybe that was wishful thinking, maybe not in. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: there's been a lot of things that have been kicked down the road yeah. uh, in the last uh, 13 months. Right. So, but yeah, I, I still, yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people in places are are still able to get back in there and, and at least plug a device in or whatever. Right. So yeah, real test of if it's plug and play, can you send uh, you know, one IT guy in and, and plug the SD-WAN device in? And,
1: yeah. I do um, think that people have probably become more confident about doing their SD-WAN deployments. Cause another thing that we ask mm-hmm. is, you know, what percentage of your sites do you think you're going to implement SD-WAN at in your first year right. of deployment? And that also pretty dramatically changed between our 2018 respondents and our 2020 respondents. In 2018, most people right. were kind of more conservative. They were like, we'll do like maybe up to 20%. Um, I think it was like, yeah, that was like the most common response. One in four people said, okay, we'll do like 10 to 20% in our first year just as like, a you know as a test and then in 2020 you know 40 percent almost half of our respondents were like we're going to do like 80 to 100 percent and 20 percent of those people were like we're literally going to try to hit every single site that we have you know 90 to 100 percent so I think that increased confidence will also lead uh, to an acceleration in SD-WAN deployments because people feel more comfortable with uh, doing these faster deployments rather than uh, kind of putting out, you know, kind of a test of, okay, let's do like maybe one little area, 10, 10% of our sites, and then slowly roll out the rest. So I thought that was also a pretty interesting thing that we found. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, something something else I thought really interesting about the adoption was was in the, the uh, verticals breakout, mm. the industrials vertical. I'm using vertical there, so I don't say industrial industry. <laughs> but uh, um, uh, industrials were like pretty far and away more likely to, I think 83% of them had installed SD-WAN already. Um, I just, did did we do any, uh, ind- you did a lot more of those interviews than I did. Do we yeah. do any industrial interviews? Uh, we do, did, we, do we, we have did. thoughts on uh, on why they were ahead of the, the rest of the pack?
1: Yeah, so I think part of it is, um, it comes from their own um, alternative access needs. So a lot of them are in mm-hmm. more remote mm-hmm. locations where- right. You know, building out MPLS, building out fiber connections, it's really expensive. So, they want to be able to take advantage of whatever connectivity they have around them, even if it's not as high quality. They want to be able to use the broadband or the LTE that's in that area as secondary or tertiary connections. Um, But Mm -hmm. if they're in a remote warehouse or a remote factory, that maybe will not be the best connection on its own. So, they want to be able to implement that SD WAN load balancing capability in order to be able to take advantage of those sorts of things. And I think it also comes mm-hmm. from the fact that a lot of those, stay, yeah, it's that, that they do need high performance from it because for a lot of them, it's like any, um, you know, connectivity going down is dollars lost if, you know, it has to shut down the factory floor right. or anything like yeah. that. But at the same time, they might be using a fairly low amount of bandwidth. These are IOT devices. Um, yeah. Yeah yeah, so yeah, it's your sort of, that combo need of like complete instructions need...
0: from somewhere, but that's yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. So it's kind of the combo yeah. of remote locations. You do need consistent connectivity, but maybe that connectivity is not the highest. So I think all those sorts of things together mm-hmm. lead to right. the industrial sector having a much having moved further along in SD-WAN.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of pontificating here a bit maybe but um which is to say this isn't something I heard directly from an interview or something but if you think about you know an accountant or a lawyer or mm-hmm. some kind of knowledge worker, it's like your office connectivity goes down. You probably have a laptop. You certainly have uh, a mobile device where you can continue responding to emails mm-hmm. or, or working on what you know, whatever sort of uh, document you've been working on. Whereas if a factory loses connectivity in this day and age, and there's IoT devices that require some kind of database or neural net or whatever, case may be, then uh, that, that, that is you know, sort of much bigger driver for ensuring that maximum resiliency and whatnot, that SD-WIN facilitates you in, in thinking through the underlay, certainly. So
1: mm-hmm. yeah. I'm thinking back to an older interview that we did with someone who uh, their network was mainly warehouses. And for mm-hmm. them, their biggest number one issue was that they needed diversity in their connectivity. Geographic diversity, right. first and foremost, but also logical uh, diversity, as they right. called it. So the difference between MPLS and DIA, uh, because for them, if, right. you know, a tree falls and, you know, takes out an MPLS collection, MPLS connection, um, they need mm-hmm. something. They need some sort of backup or else because it's a right. remote, it's a rural location. It might take a while for that to actually be addressed.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. That makes sense, and so on. on that topic, we we did ask um, why those who were adopting SD WAN or had were interested in it. What what kind of wins out there?
1: Um, I think that we're seeing still that the um, kind of marketing argument of cutting costs is not on at the very top of most people's minds. Still, that's Mm -hmm. a finding that we found in 2018, and that remains true. Uh, We found that the three factors that kind of held top billing in the minds of WAN managers was, one, increasing site capacity, two, mm-hmm. adding those alternative access solutions, and three, generally improving network performance. Um, both of those kind of all were in the top, all three of those were in the top ranking. And um, I think another interesting yeah. thing is that improving security uh, was generally the lowest uh, mm. ranked. And I don't think that is, be- I don't think the takeaway from that is obviously that security is unimportant. It's more that I think um, people were not necessarily looking to an SD-WAN deployment as go- to be the solution to, you know, mm-hmm. improving their network security. You might look right. to, yeah, you know, other solutions for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I would say that this is why it's important to be careful in, in interpreting surveys. We, we mm-hmm. did specifically ask if cutting costs was what they're interested in. And, um, and, and, that's not necessarily what they're interested in. But baked into that winner, the improved bandwidth or even improved performance resiliency is adding capacity without too much more cost, right? Yeah. So if you're saying, oh, I'm getting SD-WAN because I want to increase my capacity. Well, you could pick up the phone and call your carrier and double your MPLS port and they would be you know, ecstatic, right? Um, but obviously that's cost prohibitive. So what, what you're doing is in a way still cost conscious. You're saying I need more bandwidth, but I can't afford more MPLS. You know, so I want to throw in a, a you know, an MSO giggy connection or something to complement my 20 meg MPLS or whatever it is.
1: And we definitely found through our WAN Wargaming series that SD WAN is a good way to increase, you know, even double your site capacity with DIA or broadband. And we even found in our one of our questions that, you know, maybe we'll touch on later, but I'm just going to quickly reference it now. Uh, we asked people uh, who still have some MPLS after their SD-WAN deployment, you know, how are you planning, if you were planning on reducing that. And right. we definitely found mm-hmm. that um, a lot of people are planning on, you know, kind of reducing that MPLS backup. That's a great way to, mm-hmm. and, you know, replacing that with DIA or broadband. Yeah. So in that sense, you might have some. I liked respond. seeing
0: that result.
1: I know. We actually talked to someone who yeah. literally did that and it was like, they're, MPLS was still technically at 100% of their sites but they were like well we got rid of our mm-hmm. you know active MPLS backups and we replaced it with internet and so that cut our MPLS spend in half yeah. even though we still have MPLS at 100% of our sites mm-hmm
0: because you you mentioned my wargaming series i i had like i don't know a couple few years ago at this point come up with these two scenarios the MPLS core where you only have MPLS at your at your core sites and the the uh you know keep all your MPLS but drop the backups and the and the access line and add an internet and um i had just come up with those but we found two p- people who said they did exactly those same things during uh, the process of this uh, year survey so yeah all right. That's what we got some good it. ideas for my wargaming this year. I mean I got to redo all of that uh soon because I think there's there's a few new sort of um, configuration ideas out there. All right, so uh like like I said at the the start, you know, it, with within our little sort of um, typical 40 45 minute podcast here, we can't obviously hit this whole report, especially where we drill down to um, the I- industry level trends um, and and quotes from, from actual anonymous uh, WAN managers themselves. Uh, but that gives you a really, I think, good overview of what happened in 2020. I want to wrap us up, Lizzie, with just, since we gave a plug at the very start to Please fill out our survey. What are we focused on for 2021? What are we hoping to uh, talk about maybe um, uh, next year?
1: Absolutely. So in addition to the normal network configuration questions that we're asking, this year's survey is focused on network security, and specifically, we retooled those questions that we asked uh, in 2019 to be kind of focused around this new mm-hmm. paradigm of, you know, remote security, zero trust security, mm-hmm. and you know, this kind of sassy. Um, idea. So we're looking yes, sassy at- wasn't yeah. a
0: term when we when we first did the security <laughs> stuff, and, and I, I I think that that uh, paper from the the um, uh, the sh- research shop that shall not be named yeah. uh, came out in August 2019, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, so we we were doing this uh, kind of just just when zero trust networks had become kind of a thing that people were discussing. In fact, in 2019, we said uh, one of our one of our possible options. Was um, uh, what the heck is ZTS? There's a surprising number who who were at that point uh, unfamiliar with with even sort of that concept, right? So Absolutely, probably and not I, the case now. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think 2020 has really put network security, especially um, this kind of cloud-based and or mm-hmm. you know remote user-friendly network security, at the top of mind for many WAN managers. And so we are trying to tap into that. So if you're listening to this. Please go fill out the survey. You can go to WANforum.com and uh, pick up the survey there. Oh, we should probably also mention that mm. we have a new website that's focused around WAN professionals and the conversations and uh, information that those people need. Uh, we're newly launching this. Right. Uh, it's literally just coming out. There's free resources there along with you know some sort of members-only material that can help you. Underst- with understanding your network and kind of the uh, telecom and internet market at large, so if you're listening mm-hmm. to this, you should go check it out.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I should say we're uh, kind of segregating that out. The, the free resources are there for anyone listening mm-hmm. to this. the The premium is actually only for WAN managers from like non telecom, uh, you know, yes. vendor kind of companies, and the and just the reason for that is that we want it to be a place where. Uh, they can discuss issues amongst themselves about what's going on in the WAN world, um, you know, with without uh, sort of um, you know folks trying to, trying to pitch things. There's a great great opportunities to pitch things that we're just carving out one place um, where where it's it's just for the end users themselves, and and they also get kind of snippets of some telegeography reports. That, um, that are you know, sort of databases that, that vendors and folks in the telecom industry use on a regular basis and that enterprises wouldn't normally have use for, but um, might still want to kind of check out some of our, our trends from those reports. Um, so we'll be, we'll be, you know, as, as telegeography, the wider rest of telegeography publishes new data and stuff. Liz and I will go in and and find what's uh, potentially interesting to the WAN manager folks and and just carve that out and put that up behind that member paywall. So WANforum.com. The most important thing is that you go there and you fill out the survey yeah. right now, <laughs> and then the second most important thing is check out what's uh, what's behind uh, behind the the premium and and uh, and see um, what's interesting there. What I'm literally working on today, Lizzie, is making an SD-WAN selector where uh, you'll you'll pick. I want managed uh, you know, I want, I want to be able to support these transports. I I need this kind of, um, you know, monitoring and then it spits out a list of everyone who will uh, sell you that. So almost done. We'll have that up there by the time this podcast airs, I think. So.
1: Awesome. Oh, well, I can't wait to see it and play around with it myself.
0: Indeed. I, I had to remember a lot of my old school Excel chops because we're not quite ready to do this on, on the internet. And uh you do something on python then it's not deliverable right Mm. yeah
1: no i'll figure that out someday
0: yeah well we we have you have to have an internet delivery so we'll we'll get to that that'll be cool but um uh, for now i think it's easier to for folks to download an excel sheet so yeah well, Lizzie, thank you so much um for joining me on the Way Manager podcast and um and going through all of that stuff that you put so much hard work into. Um and uh and let's get together soon and talk about um uh what we're seeing maybe as results pour in.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Oh, you know what I was gonna say too was um are are you getting vaccinated soon? Are I'm literally the, getting vaccinated this Sunday. That's, that's Maybe. What I, I hope. Yeah.
1: I'm kind of yeah. worried now because I'm getting it at like a random Walmart and I'm like, please. Like, I don't know if they were just doing the J&J, but like they sent mm. out an email to everybody saying they weren't going to use it anymore. And I'm like,
0: mm. I
1: just please.
0: Just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would take, I'm, I'm already fully vaccinated, but I would take the J&J still. I mean you know, we work with numbers. So I, I know what six out of million is. I know. Right? I know. Like, I'm like, please, know. please. Yeah. I just... yeah, But
1: no, yeah, I'm planning on is, planning on Sunday. Is
0: we could record an episode in, we could record an episode in the office maybe perhaps in, uh, next time. So, you know. Yeah.
1: yeah. That would, that would be fun. That would be fun. Yeah. And then when we film it, right, we can have, it'll be like between two ferns. Where we just yeah. have like our two, you know, lounge yeah. chairs, and we have some teleography Let, maps.
0: Let's be honest. Uh, I I get the uh, you look like Zach Galifianakis uh, <laughs> more than any other celebrities. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yep, that's funny. Awesome. Well, thank you, Lizzie. Have a good weekend, and thanks everybody for listening. And uh, we'll be back soon. Um, next episode is going to be with uh, our friend Keith Langridge. Uh, talking more uh, specifically about what he sees as the future of MPLS. So yeah, right. listen in.
1: Yeah. Stay awesome, y'all.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks very much for listening. The WAN Manager podcast is brought to you by Telegeography, a division of Primetrica Incorporated, and is edited and produced by Jane Miller. I wrote the theme song you're listening to right now, and we get administrative canine support from my dog, Honeybun, who you might hear chiming in from time to time when the mood strikes her. If you want to learn more about our data, head over to telegeography.com, where you can find our blog that covers many of the topics we hit here, and you can sign up for our WAN Manager
1: newsletter. Until next time, have a great day.